Hi, this is Chris Michaels, and you're listening to Trendlines. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sana. And I'm Nate. We're the founders, hosts, and producers of Trendlines. On episode six, we're continuing our Drop a Pin series. We have so far spoken to a Democrat, an Independent, and today we're joined by Chris Michaels, who is a registered Republican. Nate, it really wasn't easy for us to find a Republican, was it? It was not easy. We looked high and low for Chris, and by happenstance and through Facebook and other social media platforms, I found him. And we have a friend in common, and that was confidence-boosting enough for me to reach out through Messenger. And Chris, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us, and we're super thrilled to talk with you. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm I'm glad to be on the show, and I'm glad that we uh, uh, have that friend in common that I randomly met years ago on the debate team in college. So. Oh, how funny. Yeah. So a bit more about Chris. Chris Michaels is a father, author, marketing executive, and former pastor based in Raleigh, North Carolina. He currently manages public relations campaigns for tech companies, political candidates, and nonprofits around the country. Well, I have to tell you that a lot of the folks that Nate and I knew who were Republicans, we have found out are no longer Republicans. They've left the party and they have registered as independents for the most part, with a couple of exceptions, registering as Democrats. Just this past week, uh, Steve Schmidt, who was John McCain's campaign manager, left the party and registered as a Democrat. And Representative Paul Mitchell left the party over the leadership's refusal to accept election results. But there are many, many principled conservative men and women who are holding firm to their views in the age of Donald Trump. And we are just really excited that we found one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there's a lot of us out there that still want to hold true to the original Mm -hmm. ideas of the Republican Party and are afraid to let it go and become the party of Trump or the party of fascism. We want to hold on to what it was, was when it was founded. Okay, Chris, let's get to it. You are president of the United States. It is your first day. What executive order are you signing? Non-serious, <laughs> non-serious answers only. <laughs> I wish I could say uh, I could make an, a federal holiday to make election day a, a federal holiday. That would probably be the first executive order. Wow. You know what? You can't see the eyebrow raise I just did on a podcast, but you have broken ranks with the Republican Party on this out the gate. I just got to tell you. So, Chris, knowing that the words Democrat and Republican mean so many things to different people, how do you identify and how would you define, as I'm sure you would say, Republican? Mm-hmm. No, I, I would say I'm a Republican. I, I would say I'm more moderate than traditional or, or what's become the Republican Party. I believe in small government. I believe that the welfare system is broken and needs dramatic retooling. I wouldn't say abolish it. Um, I believe that Social Security also needs a retooling. It's not something that we can abolish or use as a uh, piggy bank for other programs. Um, I believe in a strong military, but not at the sake of allowing our enemies or frenemies uh, to access our national uh, systems like the, the current administration has with our recent hacks. And I believe that part of having a strong military and strong diplomatic relations is actually opening our mouths and sitting down with world leaders. We can't be isolationist. If you look back in the, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the Republican Party was the party behind civil rights. It was the party behind making sure everybody had a, had a voice and that 
everybody was treated equally. And that has shifted over time to what it has become today. You know, thanks large in part to Barry Goldwater in, in uh, the 70s and then, you know, Pat Buchanan and, and the evangelical movement that happened in the 80s and 90s. So I think we need to get back to original Republican values. Within that, understand that the country has changed from when the party was originally founded. What have been some of the the biggest betrayals of conservative ideology, in your opinion, of this current administration? I mean, I, I know that I can I can name a lot, but as a Republican, what would you say has felt like this is such a departure from what we <laughs> what we represent? You know, I, I think that life, the value of life. Uh, is one. I mean, you know, many single issue uh, Christian voters say that they couldn't have voted for Joe Biden because of his stance on abortion and that they would have voted for Trump because Trump's pro-life. You know, and, and I say Joe Biden's a Christian, he's a Catholic, he's wrestled with his faith. He, he concluded that the way to reduce abortions is by supporting financial and medical po- policies that give pregnant women hope as they're struggling with the decision regarding abortion. I think Trump, on the other hand, has shown that he's shown no value for human life whatsoever. I mean, the facts are indisputable and the evidence is everywhere that he doesn't value the lives of soldiers. He doesn't value the lives of school children, refugees, immigrants, black lives or any other life other than his own. Shouldn't pro-life be about protecting the living and the unborn? I mean, people get pro-abortion and pro-choice completely mixed up. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest ways that the party and this administration has shifted away from a pro-life stance. Pro-life should be about all lives and protecting all life, not just that of the unborn. Chris, was there a moment or a flashpoint that solidified your alliance with the Republican Party in, in the course of your life where you just said, these ideologies do speak to me, this perspective is what I actually really do support and stand behind. And so I will be a, become a member, a registered member of the Republican Party. Was there a moment? I was in college. I was a sophomore uh, when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And I think right around that time, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we need to protect our, and defend our own borders. Um, I looked at the spending spending behaviors and wanted fiscal responsibility. I, I saw how our government w- was or wasn't working in terms of some of our domestic policies and taxes. And so I, I felt more kind of decided that, yes, I do ascribe to more the ideals of the Republican Party than the Democratic Party. That doesn't say that I ascribe to every single one of them, but you know when when it's A or B or an independent, which is somewhere in be, you know could be somewhere in between. At the time, there was no independent movement um, or anybody really behind an independence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that today I would change my political affiliation. I would just change the way that I vote, but still be registered under the ideas of of what the Republican Party stood for at the time that I was registered as a Republican. So I'm curious about the um, liberal arts experience and your political views. Um, I too went to a liberal arts college and the Young Republican Club was kind of on the periphery of a lot of student activities. Um, The Young Democrats (laughs) prevailed. Did you have a moment where you were alone or was there a strong community that you were able to find in college that help deepen or expand your political views? No, I was, I was very much on an Island. Um, <laughs> in fact, uh, we, we probably had two or three good friends, one of which uh, ended up going to work in the communications department at the white house as an intern. It, that was under George W. Bush's cam- campaign. He, he worked with Dana and, and the communications department there. 
Being on the debate team, however, I would say it was probably the best thing for me as a Republican uh, in that, that the reasons is twofold. One, it challenged me and my beliefs in order to, to defend them. I had to be able to know exactly why I was Republican. The other flip side of that is I had to learn how to, you know, it, and they made us do this, play the role of a Democrat in debate rounds mm-hmm. because the topics change from round to round. And so it's like I have to be able to speak to both sides of an argument. And by doing so, I understand the pros and the cons that much clearer. Chris, I think I'd shared with you, I might not have. In high school, I was a debater. And in college, I judged high school debate. Mm -hmm. I wish people had that skill. I'm still having issues reaching out across the aisle and having Mm -hmm. constructive, meaningful, honest conversations with my Republican friends from (laughs) my university, you know, fact-based for sure. And not alternative facts. Yeah. But when you said power was the driver, I, I... I, that made me stop and think, and I can clearly define decisions and values solely based on how proximate they can be to those in power. Exactly. And, and it's not only uh, decisions based on those in power. It's about how do I maintain power or c- keep power? How and do increase I make, power. <laughs> and increase yeah. power. Power is a huge thing that I, having been a pastor, I look at it and say, that's become an idol for yeah. a lot of people, right? Yeah. I value power and keeping power more than I value life or protecting the lives of our soldiers or, or anybody here in the United States. It's, it's more about I just need to be in control because nobody else is going to force their de- decisions down my throat. Well, we have a person representing the country, if only for a few more weeks, thank goodness, and representing the Republican Party right now who does not understand that the office that he has held for the last few years is much bigger than him. And he does not understand that he needs to be gracious and pass the baton to the person that has won the popular vote and the electoral college, because to him, it's a loss of power. It, it makes him a loser. He's never a loser, right? right? Yeah. You know, right. It, it, that's that's his own marketing language. He can't go against his own marketing language to say, oh, I, I lost this. You know, that That's part of his art of the deal or, or whatever the, the craptastic book that he wrote was. Well, he lost um, the only thing he's ever won. Right. And now he has lost it, making him a one-term president and effectively making him what he has always called other people, including right. John McCain and, and lots of other admirable, inspiring people. Moving onward, um, I was curious, Chris, to get your thoughts on all this data that's coming out of our most recent election. Is there a trend, of course, of decades or even of the past month, which feels like it's been a decade that really resonates with you? One of the biggest trends I found was actually looking at the Latin American population and how many Latin Americans, despite all that has happened with Mexico, with relations with Cuba, many of them still voted or even more strongly voted for Trump this time than they did last time. In fact, the Democratic Party may have lost more votes uh, than they gained within the Latin American population. And I, I found that very interesting and probably the most interesting uh, fact for where the country was heading and what rhetoric, how to sell that message, uh, what was working. You look at South Beach, uh, Miami-Dade, and the ad campaign blitz about Biden being a socialist and appealing to the Cuban-American population there since you know that, that population grew up with Castro. 
and knows mm-hmm. what a so, you know the socialism uh, impact was and social dictatorship that they had through through Cuba. You know that message resonated really really well with the aging Cuban American population down in Florida. So which turned out in greater numbers than than the Democrats I think anticipated. Well, one one block of voters that Donald Trump thought that he had absolutely in the bag was the support of uh, evangelicals across the country. Mm-hmm. And he has not had blanket support. In fact, many prominent evangelical groups and leaders have vocally opposed Trump, including the editor of Christianity Today. Yeah. And even a slight decrease in evangelical support of the Republican nominee this cycle, to me, indicates the beginning of cracks in the foundation. I'm glad to hear that you talk really eloquently about walking in faith and wanting to reduce the the horrible choice that a lot of women have to make by well, giving them it, other avenues. That that line of walking by faith. I mean, you talk to the the evangelical circles and everybody will say we walk by faith. We walk by faith alone. And the fact of the matter is is no you don't. You walk in religion or religiosity. Faith is what and how you believe, and that should garner your personal choices and how you act. Religion, however, is a set of rules by which you exercise your faith. I like using also the word now of religiosity. Oxford calls it the strong religious beliefs, if you just look at it on faith. But if you apply it to the evangelical movement, it's more about keeping up the appearances to appeal to your particular religious sect. I think that the evangelical movement is more about the idol of power and not letting other denominations, not letting other faiths have a voice when we need to be, you know, showing love to one another. I mean, I think that's the the biggest if you were to ask most Christians, I I pull up in the Bible, you know, there's a, a whole section in there where you know, somebody comes up to to Jesus and says, you know, a rabbi, what's the, the greatest commandment? And he looks at him and it says, you know, that there are two commandments. First is to love God. The second is to love, love each other as your neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. If we, you know, I, I wish we loved loved enough to stop demeaning one, uh, one another with the pro-life Christian voters are simplistic and ending up harming women and children with their narrow focus or, or on the other side, you know, pro-choice voters are disingenuous child murderers who can't possibly be Christian. Well, how can we ever come together as a country unless we sit there and say, I want to love you despite your beliefs or in spite of your beliefs and allow you to believe what you want to believe, but I'm still going to love you. I'm going to love one another into the kingdom. And I think that message of love is, is, lost when we politicize our value systems, our beliefs, our faith. When we politicize that faith, it becomes religiosity. We have to look this way. I think what you're pointing out is Newsweek had an article, actually, I think just a couple of days ago, called Our Evangelicals Exiting the Republican Party by Keith mm-hmm. Stanglin. And he said that one one major thing is recognizing the social and Sorry, the social and generational difference. Trump won the 50 and over evangelical crowd, but Biden pretty handily took evangelicals under 50, people who consider themselves religious and consider themselves as walking in faith. Um, So in contrast to older evangelicals, younger people of faith lean less conservative and tend to identify less with Republicans. Do you think that the, the evangelical movement is immune to this? Or are they are they having conversations internally about where they want to be in the future? Movement is too broad. I would say mm-hmm. that there are specific domination, denominations within evangelical circles that are looking at, okay, how do we embrace social justice? How do we promote change? There were several churches 
as the at the height of the Black Lives Matter, you know, post George Floyd, as, as the nation was kind of erupting in, in this cry, yeah, there were several posts by by pastors are like, you know, we have to say Black Lives Matter, because if we don't say it, of course, all lives matter. But if we don't say that Black Lives Matter, we're ignoring the fact that the rest of the world is ignoring it. Right. Right. And if all lives matter, you should be mad, too. You should be angry, too. Right. You're right. They do. And and for (laughs) and and yet at the same time, there's there's other evangelical groups are saying, well, all lives matter. And you're like, right. So you agree that black lives matter. So mm-hmm. really what you're, what bothers you is the word black, not, yeah. you know, you, yeah. not the way that we're saying it. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, really pointing at a lot of so much entrenchment in this is who I am. This is what I, what I am that has happened with, within the evangelical movement. Like they're, they're, they've been put into their trenches. They've dug a hole for themselves, a foxhole and, you know, there are no non-believers in a foxhole when you look mm-hmm. at, at war. So we're going to sit here. We're going to be in this foxhole. We're going to defend this line. For but sure. we're not going to open our doors. We're not going to say we're here for everyone. We're not going to go out and make disciples and love the rest of the world in the model of Christ. We're just going to you know, dig our trenches and say, this is what we are. You join us. You jump in our hole. What can millennials do to further the political agenda of the Republican Party that you identify with? Is it is it growing the faith? Is it finding more inclusive ways to talk about all lives? What, what do you think is that thing that this next generation can do to maybe bring us back to a spot that you would be proud to call, you know, the Republican base? <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a, several things. I think the first part is being active, not just, and I don't mean in terms of proselytization, proselytization, excuse me, but I mean being active in how do we communicate and have open dialogue. Demeaning one another is not going to do it. I think that's the first thing is it's like we have to open our mouths, open our eyes and open our ears to listen. So dialogue, I think is the first thing. I I think that for young evangelicals, I, I see more young evangelicals wanting to support a more Republican or more moderate Republican candidate because from an evangelical perspective, we understand that there is a bigger picture than ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm 38, 39. What, what year is it? It's 39. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my fellow younger Republicans in the party have come, you know, I was the best man at a gay wedding for evangelical, a lot of evangelicals, they would sit there and say, how dare you support gay marriage? Well, love is love. And I'm going to love my brother and sister or, or my two brothers here and, and be a part of the wedding and embrace them because everybody should have the opportunity to do so. And God doesn't at any point does Jesus say that, that that's wrong. He doesn't say it at all. And I think the, a lot, a lot of the, the younger evangelicals also say, look, the Bible and Jesus have more, far more to say about pride and abusing power to mistreat the poor, lying, than it does about abortion. So abortion can't be the single issue for people to, to vote on. There's a lot we can do. It's going to start with a dialogue. It's going to start with understanding where our values are by openly stating what they are and be, being proud to say, I believe in, for me, 
I believe in small government. I believe that the government shouldn't be far reaching. I believe in states right. I believe that Roe got it right when it came to Roe v. Wade in saying that it's a state medical licensing board's decision, not the federal government to to step in and regulate. So from a from a federalism perspective, um, mm-hmm. I, I believe in that. I, I believe that uh, we should have a, a strong military. We shouldn't be spending through our ears. But which we, we should, are, which we are, you know, and, and I, I'll I will give Trump credit for very few things, one of which is calling out how we've been ridiculously spending and cutting back our military spending around the world and getting our uh, many of our allies in NATO and others to fork more of a bill. I don't believe, however, that means that he's done everything else right. And or that just we get, need the Space Force. We might right. not need the Space Force right this exact moment. <laughs> Right, right. The Guardians, as they're now the called. The Guardians. Right? They, they did a focus group for a year, and they came up with Guardians, and yeah. their logo looks like Star Trek. It's just yeah. very, very unimaginable. <laughs> That's a lot of money spent to come up with. Like, they strained zero creative muscles with that. And sorry, I just had to go into Space Force. Yeah, you were going <laughs> to plagiarize Gene Broddenberry's designs and everything that's Star Trek related. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm super excited to hear all of this from you. And I have to tell you, you sound like Ted Kennedy. He would always say, and and weird, right? But uh, he would say that government should be like a guardian angel, not really in your life. And then if you fall in hard times and you need a little bit of help for a little while, that's when they should come in and help you out and then make sure you get back on track. And that sounds like a lot of what you've said. And one of my favorite conservatives is Tom Nichols. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he'll do a whole Twitter thread on a specific topic. And I'll find myself nodding along and say, Wait, am I a conservative? <laughs> What's happening here? So Nate and I are about growing the center and yeah. finding that temperature cooling down across this country. So it's been so great getting into these deeper mm. conversations with you. But we've got some rapid fire questions that you're on okay. the hook to answer. All right. Okay. All right. Shoot them. Number one, who is your political North Star and why? It was John McCain for the longest time. I thought that he had the the best stance on fiscal responsibility, the best stance on uh, military use authorizations and defending our borders. It, John McCain was probably my my North Star for the longest, longest time. So rapid fire question number two, what first pet would you want to see in the White House? And you can't say cat or dog. <laughs> for, well, see, uh, I I just got a brand new boxer puppy, so you know my my Adorable. boxer puppies. The, oh, those things yeah, just, you oh can't take gosh. them with you. You need a new pet. <laughs> Leave him at if home. If my office were in an oval shape, <laughs> yeah. If my office were in an oval shape, it would be a, um, it would be Albus Dumbledore the boxer. Um, I would love to see. I would love to see a a, a first bunny. Um, it oh, would be yeah. great to have a, a nice fluffy bunny hopping around the the rose garden. It's <laughs> actually adorable. Okay, next question. What is your go-to source for news? Uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, VentureBeat, and Axios. So those are the top six that I read every morning. Nice. And last oh, wow. question. Who do you never want to hear from again? <laughs> DJT. POTUS45. <laughs> the only time I want to hear him is in an arraignment. Oh, my gosh. Well, Chris, this has been a tremendous episode, and I just want to just extend some gratitude and thanks to you for responding to me, first of all, and, and secondly, for really re-energizing my desire 
to reach across this aisle that I think has never been wider to understand another point of view. And for all of our trendsetters that are listening, um, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platforms. We are officially on all of them just by looking for Trend Lines Podcast. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Trend Lines Podcast and on Twitter as Trend Lines Pod. So Chris, thank you so much again for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. And I hope if the time comes again that we need to have across the aisle conversation, we can call on you to dive a bit deeper. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful time talking. And, you know, for a lot of the the listeners out there that might be tried and true Republicans but are afraid to say it, you know what? Strike up a, a conversation with somebody who might be across the aisle. Start start there and be sure that your eyes and ears are open to understand one another before we have an argument or, in a, de- or a debate. Amen to that. With that, everybody, that puts an end on our podcast here today. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And until we see you next time on Trend Lines Podcast, we hope you have a great day. Bye.